0: Hello, my friends. This is Uncle Mike and welcome to episode number five of From the 40th Parallel. This is going to be a response to episode number four. If you have not seen that as of yet, I recommend stopping this video, going and watching that, because the information which I will be covering will be in that context. For those of you that have seen number four, well, you're in for quite a ride. This is this is gonna be uh I find I found it to be very, very interesting. Um let me forewarn you right now, this uh the the focus of this is going to be a little bit um you know, it's 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 we're gonna be looking at some of the darkness, some of the the um the the underbelly of of seemingly uh, picture-perfect places and organizations. And it wasn't necessarily my choice to go in this direction. This is just the direction in which all of the research revealed itself. And I also want to say in the beginning that, that though I'm going to be talking about specific places and specific organizations, I am not by any stretch of the imagination suggesting that everyone involved or who lives there involved with these organizations or who lives in these places are in inherently evil it's not quite that simple but um if you're a fan of 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 mine and and ross's work well then you're probably aware of you know kind of how uh the world works so without any further ado let's uh let's jump right in let's jump right in so um So episode number four, this was Ross Ben. He was out in Boulder, Colorado, and um, he uncovered some really, really interesting things. Boulder is a city also on the 40th parallel and in a very key location relative to Earth itself. It is where the 40th parallel intersects with the Continental Divide in North America and he covered a lot of different, um, topics, and I'll be focusing about one in particular. Uh, I do want to point out, I found this interesting, and he, he wasn't quite so, um, he wasn't quite so, uh, specific as I'm going to be right now, but he and I did not, like, go over in detail, like, I had no idea what he was going to be talking about, and in, in, in that video, I covered, uh, I, I gave him a three-minute, A three minute video of some footage in the area of the Susquehanna River in the 40th parallel not having any idea where he was going to go with it and one of the areas which I covered was a survey marker of the National Geodetic Survey and um, it just so happened that that was an area which is richly or that was a topic which is strongly and richly connected to Boulder itself and one of the things which which is becoming more and more evident is the interconnectivity uh, of you know specifically through all things with with the 40th parallel, which in some instances could refer to just me and Roz and the work which we're doing and how that interconnects. But I also. S- would look at all of you, all of you, you viewers. If this is, regardless of where you find yourself, if you're finding this interesting, if you're putting your consciousness in this, in this space, you know, you're watching the video. Well, there is a connection there as well with you guys, and so that's a big part of this to me is understanding the connectivity between all of, um, all of these things. So before we get in, I want to go and further um, uh, point out some of the stuff which Roz uh, mentioned in the beginning of that video, things which he's supporting, uh, the Mount Tam Psychedelic Integration Jam, that's on April 16th and 19th. It seems to be a, uh, um, seems to be a, a online Event, And then also he's doing something in person, a tour of uh, Lower Wissahickon. Um, Go to his website for more information on that. And while I'm talking about other people's events, I also want to bring up strange familiars. Perhaps you may be familiar with this podcast. Uh, the, the gentleman who's behind it, he lives uh, right by me. He is on the 40th parallel in the Susquehanna River. His area of interest tends to be more of the paranormal and the cryptid, the crypto, the cryptid, um, strange stories. Um, fantastic podcast. Uh, very, very interesting. But he has recently fallen into hard times physically. And so part of being an interconnected community is that we support our own uh, go and check out some of his stuff send them some well wishes if that's what you can do if you're interested in supporting him any other way he's got websites where he sells his own art and other stuff so um, any way which which we can support him we definitely want to do so so let us begin so the 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 nature, the tone of um, the tone of this video is going to deal with the shooting, or at least it begins with the shooting in um, in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, it just so happened that that Roz was out in Boulder when this shooting happened. This was on March 22nd. And the way shootings, mass shootings, are portrayed to uh, the mainstream collective mind, uh, they're very uh, trauma-invoking, often ritualistic, all sorts of stuff like that. And for the past year, mass shootings has fallen out of the... Um, the primary, uh, the primary, um, ways of traumatizing people, you know, to, what we've seen over the past year. So this is the first time that, that, that mass shootings has really appeared in the past year. Actually, the week before the, the Boulder shooting, there was, there was another one which was presented, uh, which occurred in Atlanta, but then we had this one in Boulder. And as I said, uh, you know Roz was there and time doesn't matter but timing does and we uh by the nature of the show we we're talking about like the 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 depths and the darkness and 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 hopefully uh pointing at something truer than just like you know the the darkness that we're experienced within within uh life on earth right now we're, we're but we're trying to investigate and understand this this 40th parallel what it is why it's significant and so forth um and you know raz was like out there he's like i are out he put out there that he was going to be in boulder and then when he shows up this occurs this this 58 minutes of terror the the boulder king super shooting and so immediately after um after seeing that that happened i sent him in i sent i sent ross this email right here and this is before he released his video i didn't know what his video was going to be about but i immediately uh kind of like tapped into some of the stuff which we had talked about before about where the shooting was uh relative to the amorc the ancient and mystical order of Rosie cross highway sign which is located right here much of Ross Ben's work de- dealt with, our, or the research which he presented, dealt with Baseline Road, which is located right here and the intersection of Cherrydale. Um, and we can see uh, what I sent him, in the screenshot of this map. And I talked a little bit about how this line here seems to suggest or point to Devil's Thumb. Um, this is actually Devil's Thumb in this map is pointing to a neighborhood but the name devil's thumb is in reference to this this uh natural rock outcrop uh, outcrop which is popular with climbers and the significance being in the nickname the devil's thumb you know what that suggests what that's pointing to this kind of um this 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 energy of 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 you know evil i guess we want to say and so that is where that is where this journey here which i'm talking about begins and so if you're familiar with um if you're familiar with boulder like boulder's a boulder's a beautiful city like it's it's on the surface it is a beautiful city the 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 the, the city itself is clean. The, the layout is pleasant. The houses are beautiful. It's charming. The people are pretty, you know, the, the scenery is spectacular. The air is clean, all of this sort of stuff, you know, it, um, it is perfect on paper and perfect on appearances. One of the things which, which we learned, this is, this is, this is a, 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 um, a common thread, which, you know, I've seen, like, often the most beautiful surface area places and organizations in our modern world are either built upon or have a, 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 have been infiltrated by some real dark evil, and, um, you know and that's no difference here and you know it's also worth pointing out you know in this duality world which which they created is is the opposite is 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 true too often when we go and we we look at many of the places the communities that we find which are on the surface the 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 the, the least attractive the 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 least appealing that when you dig deeper, you're going to find some of the um, the most beauty, the truest, and the the, the most um, inspiring of behavior. Um, and so maybe we'll talk about that uh, on a future on a future episode. So uh, Boulder fit, but Boulder fits this kind of like it looks great, but you know there's some evil. Again, I'm not saying if you live in Boulder you're an evil person. I'm just saying like this is the nature uh Roz went into a little bit about the the organizations the scientific organizations of that are involved with the earth science organizations that are involved in, and and have major major footprints in boulder uh you know on a certain level like i'm not saying those people are evil but when you begin to understanding the understand and look at the the naming and the organizing and then uh the influencing of life on earth from this geo this modern technological geomancy session well you know maybe you might come up with a a different um a different take but that's not where we're going to begin because boulder uh particularly its contemporary history uh it has one of the most evil stories which has um infiltrated uh the collective mind so the story of john benet ramsey and so if, if you don't recall you know the details of it was this very very um horrific grisly uh murder of this young girl right here you know this is she was found dead in her house um, in Boulder, Colorado, on Christmas morning in 1996. And this is a very good symbol, if you will, of kind of what I'm getting at in terms of this outer surface, uh, quote unquote perfection with something, uh, very nasty underneath it. And so the Jean Binet Ramsey story is, is tied to, um, uh, affluence and 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 beauty pageants and it's tied with uh of of pedophilia and sex abuse and all of this sort of stuff and um that is that this was a major this was a major story when we when you put this in context of 1996 this was before you know, the release of Eyes Wide Shut. This was before Columbine. This was before Jeffrey Epstein. There was a a certain naivete and innocence of the typical uh, mainstream mind. So when this story came out that this little girl was found um, strangled, uh, beaten, raped, uh, and dead in this uh, very, very beautiful affluent community of boulder colorado it was it was very traumatic and shocking to to the to the to the mainstream mind so let's begin right here um and we're going to go and look you know where where did this exactly take place in boulder and so we see that the ramsey residence was at the 700 block of 15th street in boulder and if you go and you look at this map here, let me make this smaller, this here. I just picked 720. I don't know what blo- I don't know uh, exactly what the house number is, but having looked at the uh, um, looked at the map online, you could see that this block from here to here is the 700 block of 15th Street right here. And so it is at the intersection of Baseline Road. Baseline Road is the, as we saw from, from Ross's work, this is the, the epicenter. This is the 40th parallel on, um, that goes through, that goes through Boulder. And we can see that it is in the, um, Chattaqua neighborhood, the Chattaqua neighborhood. And this is, this also ties in directly to Ross Ben's work um, what he, what he showed us. And so he talked a lot about, um, Chattaqua as it's, uh, as both a movement. So the Chattaqua movement, I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It, it is not unique to Boulder. It was a movement which occurred, um, throughout the United States in the late 1800s, but Boulder is is uh intimately connected with it it started out as or or at least it it in the late 1800s it became very much strongly connected with the uh Chattaqua society um this these these communities of which again like on the surface like like with with boulder it's like it's it's a beautiful message when you read about what they were doing and 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 uh creating community and 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 spirituality and connecting to nature and often like grounded in in this very kind of like wholesome sort of way uh you know it sounds great but but as we're going to go and look you know or if if you're familiar with a, a lot of organizations in our modern world that sound great on paper you know when you dig deeper you see that there's a there's an underbelly there of, of, of evil. And, and so we're gonna see that um, play out again. But so let me just point this out. So the neighborhood, which we we're talking about with the Jean Binet is the Chattaqua neighborhood. It uh, is right by the Chattaqua Park. And um, Chattaqua Park is a spacious greenway containing cottages and a dining hall with mountain views. This is referring to this original Chattaqua community. Summer concerts take place in the Parks Chattaqua Auditorium set in a barn-like hall built in 1898. And so, um, so this is, these are kind of like our starting points. We really want to go and and, and take these, um, take these, uh, uh, these different points of of, of Chautauqua society. We're looking at the 40th parallel. And, um, I also want to point this out right here. This is, this is where we have the, the Ramsey home with, with the Chautauqua neighborhood. And this is where the shooting runs at King Supers, And they're about, you know, two miles apart. They're very close to one another, but we're going to take all of that. And, um, you know, I don't have really much to offer about Boulder. I don't live in Boulder. Uh, my my area of of interest or at least in this conversation has to do with the 40th parallel and specifically the susquehanna river and so um sure enough there is a a mirrored community in many many ways to boulder maybe more so the this chattaqua movement which we also find on the susquehanna river at the 40th parallel um, Boulder is the 40th parallel at the Continental Divide, and and what we're going to look at now is the 40th parallel on the Grandmother River, on the oldest river. So let's continue along here and see what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what's known as Mount Gretna, Mount Gretna, Pennsylvania. It's a borough in Lebanon County. Um, slightly uh, off note, Lebanon is an interesting uh, place name. There's a connotation obviously to the Phoenicians and, and all of that history um, and what that implies. For Lebanon is uh, the modern name of the land, which was, you know, it was the land of the Palm. That's what they called the, the Phoenicians. Uh, if you're familiar with Lebanon, and you know you wondered why it's called Palmyra, that was the name of the primary one of that the uh, primary Phoenician city from you know what was that thousands of years ago. So anyway, so um, Mount Gretna has a population of 196. That number is a little bit deflated. That probably refers to the number of year-long residents. Mount Gretna was a um, summer retreat location, and so those numbers swell during the summer but not many people live there year-round and uh, uh, attracted by the area's natural landscape and beauty it was founded by the Pennsylvania Chautauqua Society in the 1890s so this is you know the same time period as what we see in this Chattaqua movement um, occurring in Boulder Colorado and we see right here Mount Gretna is at 40 degrees 14 minutes and 47 seconds Boulder, 40 degrees, zero minutes and 54 seconds. That uh, equates to about 17 miles apart on an east-west, um, on an east-west line. So if you could imagine, um, like, you know, the 40th parallel is a straight line, like if one, one specific, like, you know, a one point wide line, that's the 40th parallel, that goes right through Boulder, Colorado about 15 miles um, or 17 miles north of that uh, if there's a parallel line that's where we're going to find Mount Gretna Mount Gretna and Boulder we can see right here you know at least by car they're about 1,700 miles apart uh, so for them to be off by only 17 miles in terms of being on the exact same latitude the exact same latitudinal uh, line, uh, 17 miles relative to 1700, that's the distance between the two, that is a really, really, that's a tight, tight line. It's 99% on the, uh, um, on the uh, 99% um, perfectly straight, I guess, if you will. That 17 miles is thought of as a drift and spread out over, being 17 miles apart over 1700 miles is, 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 uh, is relatively very small. So let's go take a look at Mount Gretna. Um, Here's some pictures. Look at this. Mount Gretna, what is this? It was developed as a summertime retreat, and it's filled with these Victorian cottages, just like the Victorian homes, which we find throughout the Chattaqua district within Boulder. And it is just charming as can be. Like, just look at this place. You know, Disney World would couldn't do as good of a job of creating this 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 uh, whimsical environment. Look at the sign they have right here in the center of town. You know, the Hall of Philosophy, the Tabernacle. Um, you can see all of uh, you can see all of the different places. This is what um, you know. This is how these cottages like look how close they are look how just like the community that this begins how it is uh embedded within the natural world in uh very complementary smooth ways and the walkways and the pathways uh to get around i mean this is this is idyllic right you know this is where you want to go and and you you would say this is how human beings are meant to live and they're meant to live you know you know one example at least you know this is a good example of how human beings can live in a way which is um which is you know quote unquote uh um you know not living in caves uh, but in a way which is harmonious with the natural world you know i would say boulder would probably be another example of what we would think would be that example this is this is this isn't this is from the layout of this is from the 1800s so it's not exactly like a modern place like like boulder with its with its uh university there and all of its industry but nonetheless they are both these ideal um these idyllic sort of ways in which we are we can think of you know and this is just an idea because it's as we look beneath the surface it it's not you know not all is as it seems um but this this appears to be this really idyllic uh way of being so the 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 first so we talked about that parallel we're 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 Connected between these two places in both this this Chattaqua society and then also in terms of the 40th parallel and now we're going to go look at um, this story. This was a story from 2015 and it was a shooting a very very grisly shocking shooting in Mount Gretna. Remember, Mount Gretna's got 196 people there. It's more than that during the summer, but it's not like, it is not a big place. Everyone there knows everyone. And so here when it was September 7th, 2015, it was a Monday of Labor Day weekend, which arguably is, you know, maybe one of the high points of the season. It was a beautiful day. There was a, a, a shooting and a suicide at a very popular gift shop in, in, um, in, in Mount Gretna, that, that gift shop was called, uh, the Gretna Emporium. And what happened was, and and realize this, like, you know, there's not like a lot of places to shop in in actual mount gretna and so the few the few places there's an ice cream shop there there's like this this uh gretna emporium which which sold objects there but it's everyone's going to know what it is this is in the center of of this this hamlet this community so this is you know a big deal and then the the woman here who owned this the this shop she was um Shot by uh, uh, an ex, an ex, and who then turned the gun on himself. This was done first thing in the morning, ten a.m., and it is a uh, it was what everyone woke up to in this community. And much like the John Binet story, immensely shocking and traumatized, and no one would have ever thought this would happen in this sleepy, idyllic spot of Mount Gretna. And so um, I want to point out the name of the shop. It's 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 the Gretna Emporium. And so the shooting, which happened, the recent shooting that happened in Boulder, happened at a grocery store called King Supers. And King Supers, there 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 are two things I want to point out with that. One is the fact, like obviously King is is implied in the name there's this you know all of the imagery of king and monarchy and ruling and then super it's a little bit silly it's a it's a pun it's spelled s-o-o-p-e-r but it seems to to play upon the the word super like super duper you know this is a super king and when we look at grand emporium the word emporium also has kind of a uh uh like a silliness implied to it a a lightheartedness to it but also implied in its name is emperor emperor emporium and so an emperor and a king aren't exactly the same but they're very very similar they're a whole lot more similar than um they are separate from one another and so we have this other sort of mirroring or shadowing which connects these two towns on the 40th parallel and key geological spots which are grounded by the Chatwick Society. So let's continue and go one layer deeper. Um, I found this kind of interesting. So I was uh, when I was doing some research it just occurred to me I was like why don't I go and just type into into a search engine king and emporium let's see what comes up when i type that the very first thing that came up was a a i think it is a um like a, um what do you call those places where they sell used goods um Whatever you, <laughs> whatever you call those places uh, that sell used goods, that's what I think this is. So King's Emporium and Mercantile, and it's located, it was located in Colorado. You know, it's like that was the first thing that pops up, and it's in Colorado. Colorado is a pretty big state, and we see that King's Supers and King's Emporium and Mercantile, they're pretty close. In fact, the driving distance between the two is 44.4 miles. And my point of reference for a lot of this is going to be the Susquehanna River, and 444 is rather significant within the Susquehanna mystery. there are to get the exact length of a river is, you know, how do you do that? There's not a right way. Obviously they do it somehow, but, but there's, there's play with it. Do you measure the middle? Do you measure like the left bank, the right bank, you know, who knows? Um, but regard over a long period of time, you're going to have a range of like how you can go and say the length of the, of a river would be. And it has been agreed upon that the Susquehanna River is 444 miles long from its beginning at, in Cooperstown, New York, all the way to where it empties into the Chesapeake Bay is 444 miles. So now we have this 444 is popping up again between this, this King's Emporium and King Super. Uh, this King's Emporium almost being like a, a link a a, a link between these two shootings uh that that are between mount gretna and boulder so let's go a little bit deeper so now we're going to go and look at 322 those numbers so 322 march 22nd this was this was the date of the shooting in boulder you know there's a lot of like people pointed out immediately like you know oh that's skull and bones skull and bones is 322 uh, what exactly 322 is pointing to? You know, I've read a couple different analyses. I'm not certain, but I know that their skull and bones is, is, is laying claim to it, or at least aligning to it. And skull and bones, if you go and you look at the history of a lot of its members, you know, we're dealing with death merchants. Um, so three, two, two, at, at least the skull and bones level is, is tied up to like death and it's tied up to, to that type of, of, of energy. This line also taken from one of the stories when the King super shootings, it says at 322 PM, the SWAT teams went. So we've got 322 again. So now let us go and look at. Look at a map of Mount Gretna. Mount Gretna is kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's a a pretty big highway nearby. And if you want to get to Mount Gretna, if you're not in the local area, you have to take the highway and then you're going to take a secondary road and then a tertiary road and so forth. And so the primary secondary road that um, that moves through the area is Route 322. This is also the road that goes right through the effort of Cloister. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But again, we've got this 322 tied into Mount Gretna. From here to here is probably less than a mile. And I also want to point out this. I thought this, oh, <laughs> let's point this out before I get into that. Uh, if you go and you take the, the dates of the two shootings, 9, uh, September 7th, 2015 and March 22nd, 2021, There're are 2,023 days in between. You drop the zero because the zero is in a number, and you've got 2,2,3, or the reverse of 3,22. So that's also embedded for whatever reason. However, these things happen, you know, that's part of it as well. Now, the uh, the the story which I showed originally of the shooting in Mount Gretna, the, it begins with a quote from the guy who owns the local... Um, ice cream shop which was next to the uh to the to the emporium the the gretna emporium and his name and his name was mentioned many times in that article his name was chuck Alwin. alwyn i'm not certain how he pronounces it and so the the credited shooter with the boulder shootings his name isn't exactly the same but we also we do see this, the, the use of the ALW, ALW, AL in particular, is very, very prevalent in, in this name as well. So we're seeing another connection, not quite as, is, is, is crisp, if you will, but we're, you know, we're, we're looking at all of the different details, all of the different ways in which these two towns are connected. Um, by no means am I suggesting that any of this is done consciously or purposefully it could be but i think it's more so a a reflection of a a connection on a deeper level and when that connection on a deeper level manifests itself its fingerprints are found throughout its manifestation so that's what i'm suggesting which we're looking at here so let's continue on our search. So this is the brief history of Mount Gretna. Mount Gretna, um, though it was established in the late 1890s or partic- yeah yeah that's when it was established and it was always established as being involved with this um, with this um, the, 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 the spiritual movement, its history really starts, Um, in the 1700s and the Coleman family, uh, Robert Coleman was a Pennsylvania industrialist. At one point he was the richest man in Pennsylvania and he owned, um, uh, furnaces that made iron and he made his money, um, uh, one, by expanding, by buying lots and lots of furnaces, but then also making lots and lots of, um, you know, he, sold, he made cannonballs and he made, um, he made tools of warfare. You know, he was a death merchant. He was a death merchant. And so um, this is where the, the, the Mount Gretna story begins. Uh, For his his great-grandson, another Robert Coleman, but he goes by Bob in this story, uh, he received the controlling interest of the company at age 21. After the loss of his first wife, he ordered his unfinished mansion in Cornwall, Cornwall is a town next to Mount Gretna, to be destroyed without a trace. And then embarked on a program of expansion of his estate Uh, we're going to come back to this idea of the destruction of the home but there's again we're, we're we're dealing with homes and 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 destruction and 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 death even if you will uh this guy this guy robert he was very powerful and influential during his time he was also involved with railroads the the laying of the railroads was a very big deal in the late 1800s, if you were a powerful person, you were involved with the uh, decision-making of where the railroad will be laid and where would be the stops. Where you choose to be a stop, you are saying there's going to be a town there. If you happen to be own that land, that land is going to become much more valuable once that, that railroad stop is, um, has been developed. And so Coleman, Bob Coleman, had that power and influence that he could decide where uh, the stops would be. And so um, Bob Coleman himself headed the committee. He headed the committee that selected the station stops, the station stops along the the um, C N L line. So what does that stand for? Cornell, Cornwall, and Lebanon line. Um, And About three miles west of Cornwall, they came upon a particularly lovely area of huge pines, hardwoods. Pennsylvania was known for their woods, springs, and a profusion of wild flowers. They immediately selected the spot where Old Pinch Road passed on its way from Lancaster to Lebanon as the ideal ideal site for the station and recreation area. A member of the committee, Hugh Maxwell, described it to his wife that evening and she suggested the name Gretna and the committee, uh, uh, the committee appended Mount to it. Uh, We're going to come back to the significance of adding Mount, but this is where Mount Gretna, at least it's the story that they're telling us, how Mount Gretna gets its name. It was a beautiful piece of land. It was kind of in the middle of nowhere, and then it was was designed from the beginning to be a recreational um, area. And so the area was named Mount Gretna, partially in memory of Governor Dick. You why, know, why? You know, they never explain that. We're going to get into this Governor Dick thing because this is, this is also paralleled within, um, Boulder. But, but, you know, there, this, this is a, in my opinion, this is a big part of the story and a big part of the mystery. He was one of the charcoal burners who supplied charcoal to the Cornwall furnace. They were the only previous residents of the area except for roving Susquehannocks. Who? Who is they? I'm not certain who they is when it says they are the only. Are they talking about Bob? Or are they talking about Hugh and his wife? I'm not certain, but we know that there weren't people living there with the exception of roving Susquehannocks. The history tells us that the Susquehannocks were completely eradicated in the 1700s. This would have happened in the late 1800s, so that's interesting, but There have been, there are stories locally of the remain, that there were remaining Susquehannocks and they did live in the, in the hills. So, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to it. Nonetheless, there's a link here to the Susquehannocks. Um, and then they're telling us that this governor Dick, like, just think about this. This doesn't make sense. We're dealing with, (coughs) we're dealing with, (coughs) (coughs) excuse me uh robert coleman we're dealing with with a very very wealthy powerful family they're the ones who pick up this this um the the they're the ones who made mount gretna mount gretna is involved with this with this very very um like uh important organization the Chattaqua uh society and they're saying oh well actually you know we named it after this guy who was a charcoal burner so it's like they had these these big furnaces, and he's the guy who would put in the charcoal to keep the fire going. Why is he being, na- why are they saying he's so important? Like, you know, there's, there's a piece of this story which is missing, and we're going to come to that. So now let's go a little bit further in the story where it says um, services that year and up until 1899 were held in an open temple area so we're, we're we're beginning to get an understanding of the significance of the area and the ritualistic and ceremonial nature as to what's going on the tabernacle did not appear until 1899. the tabernacle is the primary location for all of the music uh, mount gretna is known for their the live music and for for uh uh plays and works on the stage and these all happen at the tabernacle the tabernacle by, by definition, like one that connects directly to um uh Johann Kelp and his and his band in Wissahickon, for they called where they live the tabernacle. And the tabernacle gets its um you know, we're first introduced to that as a concept from the Bible, for that's where what the Israelites housed the uh the Ark of the Covenant in during their forty years in the um in the wilderness and every masonic lodge is said to be a um a living example of the tabernacle so we've got that involved as well um i don't think there's anything else which i want to cover in here but but we we're 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 beginning to go and see uh uh the the more ritualistic and deeper elements and this is going to connect to um after the cloister soon So let's go on to the next slide. So if you're familiar with some of my uh, the Susquehanna mystery um, work, I talk a lot about High Point Scenic Vista which is located right here in the center of this map and how it is the epicenter of this invisible college. Franklin and Marshall College is located in that circle. York College is located in that circle. Elizabethtown is located in that circle. Elizabethtown was founded in 1899, and it is directly connected to um, to the establishment of Mount Gretna. This is actually an incorrect map. If we were to extend this line for another 70 miles, it hits another bullseye college. Um, found, this one found in 1787, 1787, and the one at the bottom, which is Washington College, that was 1782, uh, this here is, I always refer to it as the Invisible College, the Rosicrucian Invisible College. Lancaster City is called the Red Rose City. York is called the White Rose City. There's Rosicrucian symbology, like, really, really deep within it. Um, as as Ross indicated, uh, these Chattaqua Societies also have a, an Invisible College type of um, connotation as well. This is par for the course for rosicrucianism where words and concepts have um, multiple meanings it's you know this isn't saying like oh this is the invisible college and that's not but we're seeing different um, expressions of what the invisible college could represent and is and uh, um, so we see this right here Um, this is elizabeth town right here and so let's go look at this map here's elizabeth town right here this is where that circle was. That's Lancaster, that's York. It went from here all the way around like that. And where this red where this red pin is, this is where Mount Gretna is. This is probably about eight miles away. This is Ephrata, where we find the Ephrata Cloister. This is where, um, where Conrad Beisel, uh, when he left the, um, what was in Wissahickon, he came and he set up the first permanent Rosicrucian colony right here in Ephrata. Um, this here's Hershey, Pennsylvania. Um, this is where the the company Hershey is headquartered. If you're familiar with the the goddess symbology of the Grandmother River, you know, her, she are, are just like, you know, more of this twilight language, which, which points to that. Uh, this is Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And, um, and we can see that, that, that Mount Gretna is probably about 15 miles, um, east of the Susquehanna River. So let's go look at that a little bit uh, more deeply to see how it connects. It connects directly by waterway, connects by this Conowego Creek. You can see this is Mount Gretna right here. Uh, In fact, this is where the Emporium is. The Emporium is right next to this ice cream shop right here. And um, we can see the creek goes right through the town. What are these? We've got Temple Avenue, Yale Avenue, uh lehigh avenue you can see these are the roads within um within the mount gretna community this is um so let's go and pull out a little bit we'll move over here and let's go and see where this um conaway goes. see this is the same creek this is conolingo creek Look, this right here is Elizabethtown. Let me see if we can see this. Not only is Elizabethtown College right here, but (laughs) this is where we find um, Masonic villages right here. And this place is wild. Um, I'm just going to zero in on this real quick since we have it here. And where can we see there? There. They've got a wild garden here. I think this is it. See how this is set up and they've got all of their... Where is it? You can see all of these rows right here of the Masonic Village, Freemasonic Drive, Shrine Road. Uh, I don't see it right here. I don't want to go spend my time looking at it. But if you go with uh, within Google Earth, you can't go and walk around this on Google Earth. You could see the guy is not able to walk around in this village. Um, but this Masonic village is, uh, rather significant. Um, but nonetheless, and this is in the area of, of Elizabethtown and, um, and mount gretna but that's not what we want to look out here we can see Conewago creek this is where it empties out into the susquehanna river and where does it empty out but right at the tip of three mile island so now we've got mount Gretna connected to 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 boulder and it's connected by the waterway of Conewago creek and now three mile island now uh, I'm assuming you're familiar with the Three Mile Island, the notorious uh, nuclear uh, um, accident. My research has shown me or led me to the conclusion that there, nothing happened. That was all just a psyop. It was. It did something else. You know. It, it was. Uh, there was not a. There was not a release of any sort of nuclear radiation in the air. But um, but it did accomplish. You know something. The guy who was in charge of Pennsylvania at the time, the governor, Governor Dick Thornburg, that's a different Governor Dick, um, he was able to uh, go from being the governor of a state like Pennsylvania to eventually being the undersecretary of the United Nations. That's a really, really big jump. And so I think that's an indication of like what a good job he did with the um, with the Three Mile Island storyline that was that 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 unfolded, but nonetheless, like whatever we want to go and say, Three Mile Island was. It was a huge vector of energy and fear, and it is locked in right here. But also of interest is, you know, what is this area? This is Conowingo Falls, and Conowingo Falls is, if you're familiar with the the 40th parallel. This is where the fourth right is. It is a location of these of these geolot these 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 boulders which you can see all throughout um which you can see in the in google satellite from here um it's it does not make any sense why they are here i go but i go into this area in great detail in another video and i would highly recommend watching it because it's fascinating look at all these lines right here there's some really really interesting Geological occurrences that are happening right here. Uh, I did a video. Um, um, I want you to look at this picture. I took this this weekend. Look at this. Look at the texture of this stone. This looks more like bronze. This is this is some of the hardest, smoothest, slickest. Uh, most like it feels. So you can go and watch this video if, if this is of interest to you. But I just want to point out like this stone is like this this <laughs> this is a really really weird area uh the stones are pointing to something very unusual uh this this line here they're these perfectly straight lines like everything about about this stones in Conawego falls is mysterious and this is connected this is right at three mile island this is right where the where Mount Gretna, uh, the waterway empties in the Susquehanna. So it's, uh, it's a fascinating, um, in my opinion, this, this in itself, like just looking at Connewago Falls is, uh, a fascinating topic. But let's return to the, um, the point of this video. We're going back into Mount Gretna. So, okay, right here, this is what the tabernacle looks like right now. Um, it is an open, uh, an opened pavilion in which uh, these services, these events happen. This is not the original structure. Uh, This was uh, reconstructed at some point uh, in the last 125 years. Let's go look at, uh, look right here, let's go look at that. Um, Built for the United Brethren in Christ during the summer of 1899, this open circular building 110 feet in diameter uh, and resting on 23 chestnut posts can accommodate 800 to a thousand uh, people remember what we saw here um, the Chattaqua auditorium a barn-like hall built in 1898 this all was built around the same time um, This is the inside of it. Look at the ceiling. Look at this guy. (laughs) What is he saying? All right, all right, all right. So let's continue on. So um, Mount Gretna has a, uh, um, it's got a strange history with fire. Now, the truth of the matter is, I don't have the point of reference to know how often or what it, what would be, what, what is normal for, uh, a place like this in terms of fires, but seemingly from, from this article and other things which I found, like, fire is a big deal in Mount Gretna. It's burnt down a lot. And if you're familiar with a lot of, like, Howdy Mikowski's work, you know, he questions a lot of the, these great fires that were, um, that were, Sweeping the world in the late 1800s. So, Mount Gretna seems to be a place of fire as well. Um, this art, this, this is a quote of which was from that article, or they pulled out this line. Most of the early fires follow an eerily similar sequence, eerily kind of like implying that, you know, that there's something eerie, something, uh, something going on behind the scenes. Uh, which is probably not like a, a good thing. Um, the camp meeting fire of 1899, the year in which they built the tabernacle, established a pattern for many Gretna blazes in decades ahead. So let's look at this right here Mount Gretna fire chronology. <coughs> So 1892, a fire destroys the men's dormitory. This is when it began. So they built a dormitory and then it catches on fire right away. So what it kicks off, this 1899 fire, it encompasses uh, 5th and 6th streets. We could see eight cottages burn. We're seeing fire and fire and fire and fire. 1949 was... Um, the largest fire, um, Mount Gretna's largest fire starts um, in 1949. We've got a picture of that aftermath right here, uh, which is, you know, go look at this. You go look at this picture. And. you know all of this has this been cleared out i'm assuming it's been I, I i don't know is it been when was this picture taken relative to the fire there's not any debris except for what we have left we can see in the background what's remaining of the structure of this building so if they if if there was anything left here they cleared that away but this hasn't been cleared you can see this house and this house seems unscathed there's no there's no scorching there's no there's no um uh, burn marks upon the house. We can see this tree and these trees here. They don't seem to be scorched. This one here does, you know, we can see that we can see the, the, the masonry foundation of, um, the remainders of those houses. It doesn't look like they're scorched. Um, you know, I don't know if, if this, if this is saying this is not a normal fire. I don't know, but I just wanted to point that out that we have this fire history um associated with Mount Gretna and um we're going to come back to this in a little bit so we had this fire in 1949 the 1954 was the dedication of the fire hall remember this is by definition this is a ceremonial a ceremonial community this is a ceremonial community so when we see the dedication of a fire hall this is a ceremony all right So let's continue this story where we're we're just going to get deeper and deeper into it because it gets stranger and stranger as we go. So I talked about um, Governor Dick. Governor Dick and this right here is called the Governor Dick Observation Tower. So this is the Governor Dick Observation Tower. We can see how it extends above the tree lines. This is it right here. Hiking to the Governor Dick Observation Tower in Mount Gretna. Um, it's a popular hiking place. You climb up to the top and you get these views. Uh, immensely phallic, right? You know, just the shape of it, like all towers and the governor dick. You've got that going on. It is, um, uh, hideous. Like there is, it is just straight cement or concrete. Uh, there's no artistry tied to it, but it is an evident, um, it's an evident marker. You know, it's significant. It is, it is, it is a, a symbol on the land, a very, very prominent symbol of that. And as I indicated in the earlier reading of this, like this Governor Dick, who we're, we're going to get into in a moment, is uh, of... of there's, there's a mystery around it. And we're going to go look at that. So um, let's first go a little bit more into Round Towers just the whole idea of round towers in general, it goes back to Ireland, uh, Coleman, where this all began, he was, uh, he came from Ireland as well, uh, the original Coleman, he was born in Ireland, and Ireland has these very, very mysterious round towers, here are a couple books which go into, uh, these books were written around, were written, um, uh, in the 1800s, uh, by uh, Henry O'Brien, and we could just see by the, ta- by the names of the books, The Round Towers of Ireland, or The Mysteries of Freemasonry, of Sabism, and of Buddhism. The Round Towers of Ireland, The History of Taoth de Danos, which is often tied into Atlantis. Right here is another version, The Round Towers of Atlantis, uh slightly less controversial academic books you know they're tying in these towers to the druids um this guy O'Brien is going much further back in history this is an example there are like i don't know how many in ireland i i, I don't think there are hundreds but probably tens of these these towers which which uh it's unknown who or when they were built we can see there is you know at least in general uh, in general um, concept, you know, here we have a round tower as well. Um, and in these books, it talks a lot about how these towers, what their ritualistic purpose is. But this is not, this is not the only time we see round towers tied into the Susquehanna River, I've covered this in previous um in previous videos but look at this tower right here look at this look at that look at this this is um found in cooperstown cooperstown is another one of these towns when you go to cooperstown if you walk in downtown cooperstown it is so friggin charming it is like it is like mount gretna it's like boulder in the fact that it looks like utter perfection but we know when we de- when we scratch beneath the surface, we often find some really, really, really um, unsavory activities. And so this is called the Clark Tower Trail. This was built by um, this was built by one of the family members. I think it was a brother, a brother of the of Stephen Clark. Stephen Clark is the guy who is behind the the establishment of the baseball hall of fame at cooperstown is a very very wealthy family it's a family which made their money from the singer sewing machine uh uh that's where their money came from i did a, a video about that it's fascinating and this is a um a very esoteric and arguably dark um dark uh family line particularly their correlation with the dakota apartment building in Manhattan, the setting for Rosemary's baby. But nonetheless, we see this is this tower. This tower is located in, um, in Cooperstown. It is not like, uh, it's, it's on public grounds, but it's hidden. Uh, you're not, you can't get to it. This fence, uh, you, you got to either climb it or go underneath it. Um, but it's not like on private property. It's a very significant, uh, structure. Also on Lake Otsego, which is where, um, which is where um, the Susquehanna flows out of, we have this building right here. This is called uh, the Kingfisher Tower. Uh, it's square. It's not round, but we can we can see this is a building of significance. These are people. You can get an idea of the scale of it, and that is located right here on Lake Otsego. Um, Otsego, and then it empties. Otsego empties out and begins the Susquehanna. This is where that plaque, which said 444 miles, it's located right here at Council Rock Park. Council Rock Park is a historically immensely significant meeting place of the Iroquois nation. And so uh, here's the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, just a, a stone's throw away from, um, from the beginning of the river and on this lake is where we find this building so we see these buildings we see these towers and and now we've got this tower so um let's go into governor uh let's go into governor dick because this is this is really really interesting and um so let's go right here more than 2 centuries ago a black charcoal burner named Governor Dick blazed the land with his axe and his name. The sturdy woodsman's legacy lives on in the namesake Lebanon County Park created in 1953, but human memory is less robust. Some visitors to the park think it commemorates former Pennsylvania Governor Dick Thornburg an old brass plaque on the foot of the Mount Gretna Hill where Governor Dick is said to have sheltered. So that's an interesting word. So Governor Dick, I, they don't say he lived there, he, they say he sheltered there. Does not mention the intriguing possibility that he escaped slavery late in life. They don't come right out and say it in the first sentence, but Governor Dick was a slave. And then he became a freed slave not that he was freed he escaped okay so this is who governor dick is so put this put well we'll get into this in a moment no one is certain of his beginning or his end exactly why he became prominent is a mystery that's the most truthful thing we're going to see why is this man so significant why is this park this park was was created in in 1953 so 1953 is going to be over 200 years after he is said to have lived there's no history of him but he had is enough of a a a lasting reputation wherever that may existed that when they built that tower in 1953 they named it for him but they didn't tell anyone why it's also put in context, 1953. Like, look, it, it was not the modern, uh, the the exact moment, like right now, in terms of how the American public is looking at America's slavery past was not the same in 1953. This is the very beginning of the civil rights movement. You know, it is not commonplace to go and, and really um, exalt exalt a a former slave like it doesn't make sense on the surface level yet it happens so we know that it's something much more significant so let's continue back with our story um here it is people just don't know who he is governor dick lore is legion by popular accounts he was a talented stonemason and a backwoods shaman so now we're starting to get somewhere. So he was first, he's a talented stonemason. If this was known of, of Governor Dick, it would be um this, <laughs> this lack of beauty. Part of being a stonemason of that craft, of an actual, you know, um setter of stones, not necessarily like the the, the Freemasonic uh society, is the beauty of the art form. Like when you see this. This beauty right here, when you see this, when you see this, this is the skill and the trade of the stonemasons. So, when they go and they honor this gifted stonemason with this, um, with this, this, uh, um, absolutely like aesthetically devoid tower, like, there's no stone on it. Like it, the way which which Roz was talking about that the the statue of the Indian chief in Boulder with the soulless eyes. This is a soulless building. There's no there's no there's nothing that that pulls you into the artistry of the human hand in terms of building it. And so the second thing which they they bring out is that he's a backwoods shaman. And both of you know both kind of like the. um uh um the 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 display of this this ode to him, you know, or the lack thereof any artistry to it. And and maybe like the the turning of the phrase, and maybe I'm just, you know, maybe this is just me, but backwood shaman, like it is hinting at at this man's um uh 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 connection with the invisible world but uh, and it being significant but like the backwoods kind is a backwards or a backhanded compliment if you will or you know it doesn't really express anything though this article is 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 very much um written in uh a a tone which is bringing awareness to govern governor dick but nonetheless the the backwood shaman um Whatever else he might have accomplished, Patricia Gibble, an anthropologist, and archaeologist at Elizabethtown College, Governor Dick and his peers played a huge role in building the country. Um, that statement is is a deep statement and can be taken many, many different ways. So let's go on down a little bit more of what we know governor dick is likely the 50 year old man listed in a 1780 registry of slaves in lancaster county which in those days included present-day lebanon county and so he is depicted as being a big-footed man five feet ten inches tall with a bald head and light scorings on his temples he was a carpenter proud of his trade, uh, with a down look and a horrible scar on his big right toe occasioned by it's being split with an ax. And so this is like, uh, there was a, a calling. He escaped this governor Dick, uh, uh, escaped. And there were, there was a $20 reward for his, um, for his capture. So, um, This, so let me continue with this, with this story before we get, like, go in a little bit deeper of what, what's being revealed right here. Um, Lancaster County in the 1790s, 90s was still a rural fringe area where oppressed people could fade into the woodwork. But Hopkins said Pennsylvania slaves born before 1780 would have remained slaves for life under the provisional abolition declared by the state that year maryland meanwhile had a large free black community according to hopkins who said the marks on governor's head were likely african tribal signs so this last thing still open to question is why governor dick stood out among the many slaves and indentured servants in the area that is the question Who was this Governor Dick? Why is he being memorialized 250 years later by probably his owners, right? These were the people who literally owned another human being, who offered a reward for his capture so they could own him again as property, okay? This guy must have been pretty important, said Susan Wheeler, a Governor, a Governor Dick naturalist who will be working with Lebanon Valley college students. That people respected him for his wisdom and sheer force of personality is a commonly cited explanation. So this guy had like a, a a big personality, and they're remembering him for 250 years. I don't buy that for a second. Like I don't I don't doubt that maybe this man had a very very strong personality, but there is more going on right here. Um, I'll go and and throw out a couple of ideas which which popped into my head. Like on one level is. Um, one of the things which we which which we see a lot on the Susquehanna River, and I think what 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 we see also in um, Mystery Philadelphia, and what was identified in Boulder, is this almost these. Uh, uh, s- uh, spiritual pr- prisons like you know whatever is trying to be imprisoned they are um imprisoning them in these capsules you know these soulless capsules they have their energy is that what we're seeing with with governor dick like that 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 um that he his spirit which is connected to the land. Remember, they said that Governor Dick, he sheltered in this land. This is where he lived. No one was living in this beautiful land, but he was connected to it. Is there, is, are they, are they trying to capture him? Um, what is this about? Because this is not really, if this was really about an honoring of Governor Dick, of whom this may have been. There would be, it would, one, it wouldn't be so ugly and two, it wouldn't be so hidden. You know, the story would be told out um, openly. We would understand why he would be known. And where is this record of Governor Dick kept? Like, you know, there's no history of him, you know, but obviously there was. Where is this being kept? Who knew about him? You know, if he would have escaped in the late 1700s, that is a full hundred years before the establishment of Mount Gretna. But this land has always been under control by the same people, this Coleman family. All right. So now this is, I'm going to throw this out as an idea, but this kind of makes sense to me. This kind of makes sense to me. I'd be curious what your thoughts are. So we've got this, we've got this Mount Gretna history of fire. We've got this Mount Gretna history of fire. And they're going and they build their Chattaqua. And then the first year, fire destroys it. Then they build this. Nine years later, they build the tabernacle. Fire burns 5th and 6th streets. Fire, fire, fire. Think about the energy of fire. So, all right. So, at some point, this highly spiritual group, you know, that at least on the surface, at least on the surface, you got these members and they're going to be like, you know, well, why is God cursing us? What are we doing wrong? You know, assuming they're not lighting their own fires on purpose, but like, you know, there's got to most likely be like the, the sort, certain attitude, like, you know, why is, why is fire being, um, rained down upon us? We've built this paradise. We are in worship. We are doing all of these right things. And fire keeps coming to us fire keeps coming to us um, and so my sense is there is an understanding that perhaps governor dick may have cursed the land or at least cursed the family it cursed the family that owned him i'm going to suggest that this governor dick who they who was gent, uh, just kind of gently described as a backwood shaman with his tribal markings on his forehead was anything but a backwood shaman but an immensely gifted geomancer an immensely gifted uh uh, uh guide into the invisible world the um a p- comparison that comes to my mind is benjamin banneker you know the the geomancer whose genius was used in order uh for by the ellicott brothers to lay out the city of washington dc you know it is uh this governor dick is of that caliber and there was probably a recognition that you know what we got to do something about this and so we see governor dick's observation tower was built in 1954 happening um you know this was uh, um, this happened the exact same year in which the dedication of the current fire hall 1949 is when the largest fire in mount gretna happened you know maybe these folks are like enough is enough we got to stop this well how can we do this well we're going to dedicate a new fire hall we're going to go through that ceremony and then we're going to go and build this governor governor dick observation tower all at the same time i don't know if that's what happened but like that seemingly is is one potentiality to explain this huge mystery but um you know, as we see, this is like 1963, Mount Gretna just keeps on burning down. So I don't know if that's, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if um, if any of that, if those magic ceremonies um, did anything. But, you know, there is definitely a possibility that this fire, that the fire and the burning of, uh, of Mount Gretna is part of um fire ceremonies that is definitely within within the realm of possibility you know april 19th is is often this burning fire day uh which we see throughout um throughout our world and there's a destruction of things of value in the world uh done in the um in the uh in the hidden and so that could be another explanation as to what's going on with this as well. Regardless, there is, um, there is a big mystery with this governor Dick and the fires and, and this tower here. So, all right, we're, uh, we're coming near the home stretch here. Where are we right now? Um, let's go back here. So Robert Coleman, this is where it all begins. He was the guy who started this, uh, that started, um, the entire this entire what eventually became mount gretna he is the um he was the industrialist he was likely either the direct or indirect quote-unquote owner of governor dick uh governor dick was worked for the furnaces that's what they said he was a charcoal he was the guy who was who was putting the charcoal on the fire that was part of what he had to do um, and this is the guy who owned all the furnaces. So it just makes sense. Like, you know, this is where that connection is. Um, what do we got right here? So uh, Robert Coleman is also uh, deeply connected to um, to James Buchanan. And um, I'm not even going to go down that storyline right now, but his daughter was engaged to James Buchanan and then she committed suicide. And then James Buchanan became the the only bachelor president it's you know it's typically thought you know he's a bachelor because he liked dudes it wasn't you know because uh he, he couldn't get a he couldn't get a lady but nonetheless he was said to be engaged by uh to to coleman's daughter and coleman couldn't stand james buchanan uh james buchanan is the president who was from um from lancaster that's where he lived so robert coleman was born in cast finn ireland immigrated to pennsylvania in 1764 arriving pen- penniless and then he becomes like you know the richest man in pennsylvania um he lived um he lived in the area he lived uh, uh speedwell forge is near where his house was speedwell forge is one of the 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 furnaces it was used as a training ground for his sons before being promoted to the furnaces. So I guess the forge is not quite a furnace. But but the reason why I'm saying that is well two things. I want to show what Speedwell Forge is nowadays. Speedwell Forge, you could see this right now, it is the Wolf Sanctuary of Pennsylvania. They're celebrating their 40th anniversary. Uh, If you live in the area, unfortunately, you can't go to it anymore because they'd have it shut down. But it is one of the most spectacular things, uh, experiences I've had listening to the the, um, the, the, uh, um, volunteers there tell the story of all of the wolves that live there. These are wolves that were once owned by people. And then the state had to come and take them away because they're like, listen, you're a person. You can't have a wolf as a dog. It's destroying everyone. And they couldn't introduce the wolves back into the wild because they weren't, they weren't, um, acclimated for the wild. So this wolf sanctuary exists. It's a beautiful thing. Um, go check it out. But that's what's become of Speedwell Forge. But what I want to go and show you here, we're going to get a little bit into effort of Cloyster. And then I'm going to tell a personal story and then we're going to be done. So, this is where Speedwell Forges. This is where Mount Gretna is. This is where Ephrada is. They're 15 miles apart. Ephraida Cloister. This is the location in which, uh, um, the first Rosicrucian colony, uh, permanent colony existed. It was very, very important location throughout colonial times. You know, George Washington, all of the guys are said to have stayed there. This right here is where Robert Coleman lived. This is where his house was um undoubtedly there is a connection between all of these places um it's the same place it's the same time very influential people of course are going to go and um they're going to interact with one another let me pull this up uh here's something about conrad Beisel. conrad Beisel was the founder of um of the effort of cloister here is a rendering of him this behind him is the cloister and um let me go read some of this stuff this is kind of interesting naming a hill at Ephrata mount zion and building a dome on the temple of the zionitic brotherhood as is in this drawing is very much reminiscent of the Mount Zion in and of Temple, in and Temple of Jerusalem. The Zionotic Brotherhood was not a Jewish sect, however. Its members were the Western esoteric tradition of which Rosicrucian is one order. It may be that the name Ziotic alludes to certain Kabbalistic aspects of one selective area of rosicrucian study like they're just they're just dancing around something right there um And was perhaps means of not identifying members here as Rosicrucians for the same reason that the code name Woman of the Wilderness was used for the continued contacts with European Rosicrucians. The Woman of the Wilderness. This is Johann Kelp's group out in Wissahickon. So, um, we're, we're, we're seeing here the importance of the naming of the hill and Mount Zion. And so they have that in Ephraim. There's a hill in Mount Zion. And so when we saw that Gretna was then given the, the title Mount, we're seeing the same thing happen again. Um, these are all the same folks. They're the same. They're all connected here. Uh, the Zio- Zionotic Brotherhood was separate from the other members at the cloister. The members had their own temple a dome structure on what was named Mount Zion at the cloister. It is depicted here in this image of a drawing done of bysel at Ephrata, before the buildings on the hill later burned. All right, so what do we got here? We've got this, um you've got the cloister, and then within the cloister you've got <clears throat> a special brotherhood which is within it. And within this brotherhood, and uh, it says right here, I'll go and... Let me first read this before I go and explain that. There were 13 Rosicrucian men who formed what is known as the Zionotic Brotherhood. It is not to be confused as an official Rosicrucian body. It was a group of local Wissahickon members who went to Ephrata sometime after Bysel began his work there in 1732. Their purpose in organizing was to carry on as in the tradition of, the Kel- of Kelpius after his death. The perfecti of the original group or the others who came later would carry on certain additional works and study that continued to to be specific to them under the vehicle of the Zionotic Brotherhood, as stated by Sachez. Um, So what we're seeing here is they're saying that this dome structure was for these 13 of the perfecti. And the rest of the cloister, the rest of the people are involved in, they were not allowed to go into this dome. Look at this, like, you know, by looking at this picture, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven buildings. This is what's up on the hill. These are the biggest buildings. There are only 13 of them. This is for them. Everyone else could not go into them. What's going on in these buildings, right? Um, and then secondly, you know, it burnt down. We got fire again. What's going on with the burning of these buildings? Again, I'm not necessarily saying I just don't know I do not know what the nature of what was happening here Uh, I don't think things are simple I don't think it's quite as simple as saying like these are good guys or these are bad guys I think it's more accurate in saying like these are guys who were involved with some very very profound and powerful um, uh, non-physical energy and they were located in this location so now I'm going to go and end this presentation as a treat, as a treat for those of you who are still around, who are still around. All right. So this right here, it's called um, the Stiegel Coleman House. It's also known as Elizabeth Farms. Uh, it's built at, uh, at 2121 Furnace Hills Pike. Um, it was built in 1587. A uh, bunch of people lived there. William Stegall lived there, but then Robert Coleman lived there. And so this is where it's located. This is where it's located. Here's the Effort of Cloister. This is where the Speedwell forges, the midpoint between um, the Cloister and then what would eventually become uh, uh, the um, Mount Gretna. And this is where we have, um, we have this, this historical house. You can see it is, um, it is still in, um, good standing. It's still in good standing. And this is where, uh, definitely Robert Coleman Sr. lived. And, you know, maybe all the Coleman family, like they, they continued to keep that in the family. So now I'm going to tell you guys a story. I'm going to tell you a story because uh, I've been to that house. I've been to that house about six years ago and it was, it was, you know, it's it's worthy of telling the story. So I'm going to tell you the story. It's probably like 2014 and um, I was still married. I was living in Lancaster and I had a buddy and a buddy of mine, he owned, still owns a, uh, um, a a landscaping supply company so he owned like all of the stone and the pavers and all of the different stuff which landscaping companies use to do their landscaping they would purchase it from from my friend's company and my friend was interested in expanding his business and he was like i want to go and open up also like a outdoor furniture store so you know we're we're selling all of the, the the supplies which are building these beautiful outdoor spaces for people. And so I'm also going to carry um, furniture for it. And so he was going through that process and uh, I, you know, I was, still am, you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good cook. I'm a pretty good cook. And I'm particularly good, I'm particularly good with cooking with fire. And so this is like 2014, as I said, and i had been at that time still am like a a a long time user of a unique type of outdoor cooking piece of equipment which is known as the big green egg maybe you're familiar with it it's become more popular more well known over the past couple years but uh at the time it was lesser known in in in, um, particularly the northeast and i told my friend i was like listen you should think about becoming a dealer you know if you're going to open up this this um this outdoor, um, selling, um, supply, like furniture and stuff for people's outdoor living spaces. Like, you know, you should, you, this would be a nice compliment. And so he looked around and decided like, yeah, that made a lot of sense. And he became a dealer. So part of the big green egg is, uh, there's a, it's, it's, it's a strange learning curve. It's not particularly difficult to work with. But it can be intimidating, particularly if you only are used to like working with a regular grill or a propane grill. And so my friend asked me, he's like, well, listen, would you be willing, you know, if I've got like someone who is going to a customer who buys one and they're still a little bit confused about getting started, could I give them your name and number? and they get in touch with you. And like, you know, maybe, maybe you could go in and, and give them a, a, a lesson on how to how to do that. And I was like, Yeah, definitely. You know, I like people like opportunities like that, like meeting strangers and going into their house. And like, that was just that was so exciting for me. I love that. I'd still like to do that, you know, to this day, like that type of interaction with people. So I said yes to that. And I probably did. I don't know, like, let's say, like, three or four over like a year or two period, you know, it wasn't something I did a lot, of, but I did it. And for the most part, it was really, really simple. Like, you know, I'd get an email from someone and they'd be like, Hey, you know, I got your name from so-and-so and could you come over and how do you want to do this? And like, uh, and so usually what happened is they would pay me a little bit of money and, um, I would tell them, you know, would decide what we're going to cook. And I would walk them through how to cook and like the, and use the big green egg. It was always like real simple. Uh, and then usually I would go, I'd get them started and shut it down and then I would go. So I was once, uh, it was, I think it was the last one I did. I was contacted, I was contacted by text, um, to help someone who, uh, with big green egg. And so it was, it was, it was a woman. And she's like, listen, my fiance, uh, I'd like to, I got your name and I'd like to, to hire your services. And, um, uh, I'd like to cook something for my fiance. And so, um, it then became like much more of a involved conversation than any of the other experiences talking to people about this big green egg thing. And it was fun. Like, you know, I was helping her um I was helping her uh decide like what the menu was gonna be. Like it was turning out to be kind of um like I was gonna go I said I she wanted me to go and prepare the food she's like hey you know i'm going to cover i'll pay all your costs and all that sort of stuff and and why don't you go and, and um and what once we agreed upon what would be cooked and that sort of stuff and it was a really fun sort of interaction like you know it was just in text but You know, it was, it was, it was playful. It was like flirtatious, not like flirtatious, like sexually flirtatious, like flirtatious in a playful way. Like, you know, I'm a flirtatious guy, like flirtatious in a playful way, not necessarily in a sexual way. And so that was, that was it. And I didn't know who was on the other side of, of, of the phone. It was just like, it was fun. It was fun. So that, that was like a, um, like a two week build up and as it came close to the day of um where i was going to go to the house to do that i got kind of like detailed instructions i got detailed instructions saying i got detailed instructions as to like you know this is uh the house is a little bit confusing and let me tell you where to go and find it and blah 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 so turns out if you can't tell this is the coleman house this is that house um and when I arrived there, you know, the house was, was beautiful and there was a big green egg. And it turns out like the, the, the fiance was, um, he had a big green egg for like 10 or 15 years. He was like an expert on it. Like they didn't need me to go and teach anything. made absolutely no sense, no sense whatsoever while I was there. Um, I was kind of like a caterer, but I wasn't like, there was like this real interest in me, like just as a human being. So I go and I, um, and I meet the woman who, uh, who I had been, uh, texting with. And, um, uh, the, the, the best way I describe her is a black widow. She was a black widow, a femme fatale, uh, um, like alluring and dangerous as can be. Uh, you just get that sense. You get that sense. And it wasn't like she was like, over-the-top like exuding sexuality nothing like that at all she was an attractive woman she was a very attractive woman but it was like the way she moved it was the way she talked was the way she looked at you like it was um uh you know if you're a man if you know what i'm talking about like you know that's that's someone that's a (laughs) you know that's that's a that's an archetype in which you know you should be concerned about and so um So I go and I meet her and, um, she was probably my age was about 40 at the time. And then I go and I eventually meet her fiance, who is of the bloodline of the Coleman family. And this guy's probably about like mid sixties, maybe even 70. I don't know. Real robust 70, like, you know, but he, he was definitely older. Um, and uh incredibly gracious incredibly nice incredibly casual like you know there was no pretense anywhere there wasn't like you know there wasn't there wasn't there was nothing stuffy they were so happy to have me we were talking it was a lot of fun but it really didn't make any sense while i was there it made no friggin sense why am i there uh and then they were having like a like a little bit of a dinner party i was cooking the food for a dinner party not a big dinner party i think there may have been like two other couples that were coming and they invited me to stay for dinner. I'm like, yeah, definitely I want to stay for dinner. I know what I'm cooking. This is good. So I, I stayed for dinner. And um, I was given I was given the, the seat at the table of the guest of honor. I sat on the right hand of the host of the man who owned the, uh, who owned the house, whose house it was. I sat on his right hand. And it was an absolutely, it was an absolutely lovely evening. (laughs) Like it was fun. Like the other couple that was there, they're an older couple. And it was like the conversation was lively. And though it was like really, really casual, like these guys are like cracking $100 bottles of wine. Like there was like, you know, it was like a $10 bottle of wine. And so it's like a lovely time, lovely time. And so it's getting towards the end of the evening i'm like all right well you know uh time for the help to go home um they're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. you know why don't uh this is a great historical residence um uh this is this was the the host he says honey why don't you why don't you give uh why don't you give mike here a private tour and i'm like and and this is you know i uh <laughs> I don't I did not have the understanding of the Lancaster area that I have now but at that time I still had a good 10 years of conspiracy research under my belt I had a good 10 uh, 10 years of of research into like you know um like magic societies and all sorts of stuff like that so it's not like I was a I was a babe in the woods there but like I'm like all right you know and uh i'll i'll come along and and it was fine and dandy when i was sitting at the table but i was going to get this private tour by the uh um by the by the femme fatale by the black widow um and she's like yeah let me go show you upstairs i'm going to go and show you um i'll go show you like all of the paintings of the family it goes back like 200 years I would be I would love to go see that now like with the context of understanding everything but at the time Um, at the time I was really friggin' uncomfortable. I was like, you know, what sort of like eyes wide shut human sacrifice am I, am I walking into, you know, on top of all that, like, you know, I'm a real traditionalist as it relates to relationships. Like I'm a one woman man. Like I said, I like to flirt like I do, but like I'm as monogamous as they come. Like, I didn't like, I didn't know what I was walking into with this woman who just exuded like, you know, seduction. So we go upstairs, she gives me a tour, all that sort of stuff, and like, you know, nothing happens. Like the whole time, like I'm probably all stiff and all. Because like I'm like, where well, what am I getting into? So I go and I walk, um, we we eventually go downstairs, I say goodbye. Um, the guy uh was immensely gracious. Like, you know, I was at the time where at that particular time in my life, like money wasn't money was not of a concern. I live I was in a very good uh, financial situation, but still the guy gave me like a hundred dollar tip and like, you know, it was, it was, it was, cool. It was fun. Um, but, and that was how that ended. So I left that and I thought that was a great story. So fast forward two years later fast forward to so this is the house this is the people who i'm just talking about like you know i had no idea like in hindsight looking back now of everything which i know now and i was like i was in that house like i had enough point of reference at the time to know that this is not a common experience this doesn't happen to just everybody this is i don't know what's going on but this is an extraordinary an extraordinary experience And like now in hindsight i understand it a little bit more and when i talk about this like black widow energy you know that's kind of made maybe what I'm, I'm getting at in terms of, of like, you know, this, this kind of like dangerous destructive energy, which we're seeing behind these seemingly like beautiful, like that's what a black widow is. A black widow is a beautiful spider. Like it is graceful. And it's like just the way it moves and shiny and like that hourglass one, like it's, it's striking, but it's deadly as can be. So fast forward two years later. So in that period of time, um, uh, uh, unfortunately, like my relationship with my wife then, you know, that had deteriorated deteriorated, and um, I had moved out of the house. This was the summer of probably 2015, 2016. And I was living, it was just when I moved out and I was in a sublet furnished apartment in Lancaster City, real nice part of Lancaster City. Um, and it was the, uh, summer solstice. I remember this very clearly. I went to a thing, if any of you all are familiar with Chester County, Pennsylvania, there's a, a center called Temenos there. And I remember going, they had this, uh, this summer solstice didgeridoo sort of experience. And I went to that and I came back home and I got back to Lancaster, like maybe around like 11 o'clock at night. And I remember this so clearly because... Typically, like, there's never a problem finding parking, but this was the only time I ever found trouble parking for the apartment. I had to park, like, maybe two blocks away. So I get out and I start walking back and I'm walking to my apartment and I'm about two houses away uh, to, uh, from my apartment where my place is when this taxi cab it stops and someone gets out. You know it's not a particularly like busy place and it's like right in front of me so you know obviously i'm watching seeing what's going on and um who gets out of the taxi cab but the black widow she gets right out and she sees me and i see her and remember we had a really nice dynamic like you know there was a there was a nice dynamic between the two of us we were like texting beforehand and like you know there was that was going on and i see her And there was an event, um, there was an event on the solstice in in like this big park in Lancaster. It happens, it happened every summer where like every like anyone could go. I think there's like limited like to a thousand tickets and they set up all of these tables and people come and they bring their own picnic dinner and like people like, you know, they celebrate in the in uh having dinner in the in this field and and everyone gets all dressed up for it and they eat like fine food and drink fine wines and so forth and she was coming back from that and she gets out of the 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 cab and she's a little bit drunk and her hands are 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 filled with bags because you got to bring all of your um like you know the food and the plates and like you know maybe seats i don't know i've never been to this thing um but she had a lot of hands so so immediately I see her and we we say hi or something you know it's been like two years we both kind of recognize each other and I'm like um and this is the solstice and I'm like uh do you need a hand you know do you I can't just like have this 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 woman at 11 o'clock at night on the city with her arms full like carrying all this stuff um you know she's a little bit tipsy and she's like yeah I could really use a hand so she's like, my place is just right here. So uh, my apartment building is literally two buildings away from hers. And hers was a really, really nice townhouse. And so there was a, a, um, a way to walk in between the two different townhouses. And we walked all the way um, to the back. And coming off of the townhouse, there was like a new addition. And that's where there was a kitchen, and there was a door. And so she walks in and she goes into the door uh, and um, puts her stuff there and I remember this, I remember this feeling, I remember this feeling so strongly. I was standing there, and it was like maybe like two steps off of the patio to go up into, to step into the kitchen, and everything inside me, everything inside me said, do not cross that threshold, um, and it was like, uh, it it was like a, (laughs) it's like a vampire thing like it was like if you cross that threshold like you know something bad is gonna happen and so i remember standing there i remember putting the bags down right on the threshold but on the outside um saying uh, you know good night to her and walking away and i lived there for another two months at no point had me and the black widow's path ever crossed again but uh story uh so this is a long journey this is one hour and 45 minutes wow um we covered a lot of stuff um uh comment i'd love to hear your thoughts as it relates to all of this um mine and and raz's next video should hopefully be done live in terms of like we're talking to one another as opposed to like each doing independent videos but um Until that happens, which will probably be in about two weeks, this is Uncle Mike saying goodbye, and I will see you later.